This podcast contains content and language not suitable for some listeners. Welcome to Oddities and Curiosities, a podcast about murder, the paranormal, and other oddities sure to pique your curiosity. I'm your host, Brittany, and welcome to Season 6. In case you guys um, missed the last episode, I'm flying solo now. Amanda had to take some time away from the podcast, so... Uh, hopefully y'all can give me a little bit of grace as I try to get comfortable flying solo here, but the podcast is going to remain pretty much the same. You can still find us in the same place anywhere you listen to podcasts and on socials at Facebook and Instagram, and we still have our same email address going at odditiesandcuriositiespod at gmail.com. If you have any story suggestions, hump day suggestions, or what have you, you'll just get one story a week now um, with a little palate cleanser at the end. And we will still have um, a little bit of a hump day treat. I will have my sources listed for you in the show notes on uh, Apple, Spotify, uh, wherever you're listening to the pod. Um, we'll still do episode pictures uh, and pictures of the hump day treat and everything on Facebook. Since I am coming to you on a Wednesday, it's hump day. And my treat for this week is Seven Daughters Moscato. Uh, it's a wine we've featured on the podcast before. It's one of my favorites. Um, drinking it out of my cute little Hakuna Moscato glass that I made many moons ago. Kicking off the beginning of season six here with episode 117, Highgate Cemetery. Highgate Cemetery is one of London's best known cemeteries, renowned for its famous residence and beauty. This famous cemetery opened in 1839 and was one of the city's Magnificent Seven Park Cemeteries. The Magnificent Seven were created in 1832 as part of an effort to move burials out of the city of London in response to the pressures of the health concerns about overcrowded churchyard cemeteries and desires for buildable land in the rapidly expanding city. Between 1801 and 1841, the population of London doubled from 1 to 2 million. And during this time, the capital was also hit with unprecedented health crises, including typhoid and cholera. So uh, much like we've talked about in a previous episode with Paris, there was just bodies spilling out everywhere. So they had to open some new new cemeteries to be able to keep up with the rising death rates. Architect Stephen Geary planned the cemetery at Highgate where he was buried when he died in 1854. Garden designer David Ramsey was appointed landscape architect. The landscaping was beautifully done with paths winding among the graves and monuments, Egyptian-style columns and obelisks, and ornate catacombs. The cemetery was consecrated in 1839 and quickly became an attractive burial place for the wealthy. So looking through the pictures of Highgate Cemetery, I do have some to show you, but it looks like one of those uh, 
cemeteries that I aspire to be buried in one day with beautiful monuments and mausoleums all over the place. It was gorgeous. And it was it was a place that was sought after by uh, wealthy people, famous people to be buried in. One grave in particular is easily missed amongst the greenery. It's the grave of Elizabeth Jackson. And it may not seem that special, but it is the very first burial in the cemetery just six days after Highgate Cemetery was consecrated by the Bishop of London on May 20th, 1839, Elizabeth, who was only 36, died from consumption, and she was the first one buried there. I do have a picture of her gravestone if you want to um, go take a look. You can't really, you can't really read it. It's so weather-worn, um, but it's surrounded by ivy and ferns and other other greenery. It would be perfect for some of those uh, gravestone rubbings. I don't know if any of you guys do that, but me and my mom would do that. I know that sounds like kind of an odd bonding thing. But when we would go to West Virginia and visit my grandparents, we would take walks. And there was a cemetery uh, not that far away from my grandmother's house. And we would walk up there and find some of the oldest headstones. And we would do little rubbings so we could read what was on the headstones. Highgate Cemetery was a tourist attraction from the start. One of the most remarkable monuments is a copy of the Mausoleum of Halicarnassus, one of the original Seven Wonders of the World, and was built for Julius Beer, financier and proprietor of the Observer newspaper, who died in 1880. I do have a picture of this mausoleum. Also, if you want to go take a look, it's very large, very beautiful, with the archway and the windows. Um... And the roof comes to a point with the cross at the top. It's uh, very picturesque. It looks like a postcard. Beer made his money on the London Stock Exchange, and his burial place cost him uh, 5,800 pounds at the time. I didn't math. I don't know what that's equivalent to now. Um, But it wasn't an egotistical place for himself, rather a monument to family, including his beloved young daughter, who died of scarlet fever at age eight. So his whole family is buried at this mausoleum. The most famous monument is the brutish one to Karl Marx. Karl Marx can be found in the East Cemetery, and it is almost impossible to miss his tomb simply because of the absolutely massive bronze sculpture of Marx, which stands 12 feet high. Uh, Surprise, surprise. Marx was originally buried here in 1883 alongside his wife in a sparse ceremony, However, in the 1950s, after a huge fundraising effort from the Communist Party, Marx and his wife, Jenny, were exhumed and moved to a more prominent position. The current monument was erected in 1954 and designed by Lawrence Bradshaw. I have a picture of it. You're not going to be shocked. It is indeed a giant bronze sculpture of Karl Marx. Um, yeah, so there's that. Other celebrated figures range from the philosopher Herbert Spencer to author George Eliot, scientist Michael Faraday, Charles Dickens' wife, Catherine, musician Harry Thornton, the actor Sir Ralph Richardson, scientist and author Jacob Bronowski, sci-fi author Douglas Adams, TV cook Philip Harbin, Adam Worth, a famous criminal, and the possible inspiration for Sherlock Holmes' nemesis, Professor Moriarty, (laughs) 
There are wonderful views over London and monuments adorned with statues and figures, angels, broken violins, draped urns, and other symbols of mortality. Okay, I don't know if y'all can hear this, but it just started pouring down rain. Um, so I apologize if you hear that in the background. Um, new recording location is in my bedroom and we're surrounded by windows. So like I said, I apologize if you hear the rain in the background. Maybe it'll make it spooky to you. The cemetery's tombs and buildings are mostly constructed in an imposing Victorian Gothic style. My fave. During the 19th century, as new opportunities for travel opened to the British, there was a boom in Egyptology. It was during this time that many objects were taken from Egypt to British museums, and this new inspiration would influence art and design. So, if you want to uh, go check out this picture, there is a spot called um, Egyptian Avenue, and... I love this picture. There's huge um, Egyptian-inspired columns, and really, nature has taken over, so it's kind of hard to see some of the detail. But there's a lot of other pictures, if you if you Google it, uh, to show you all the different buildings and things that have popped up in that same Egyptian style throughout the cemetery. The avenue reflects contemporary fashion and is particularly apt for funerary monuments. It's a theatrical experience walking through the small entrance and passing eight vaults on either side, which can each contain up to 12 coffins. Previously, this also would have been enclosed overhead, adding to the atmospheric experience. After walking through the avenue, you then emerge back into sunlight, but are presented with a sweep of mausoleums. This is the center of West Cemetery and is named after a cedar tree from Lebanon, which was already a 100 years old when Stephen Geary was designing the site. Sadly, the cedar tree had to be removed in 2019. Tree surgeons found it was beyond saving and was in danger of collapsing into the vaults below. So I don't, unfortunately, have a picture of the tree, but I do have a picture of the circle of mausoleums that surrounded it. So if you want to go take a peek at that, it's a really interesting circular design with mausoleums on either side, which I'm sure would be pretty spooky to walk through. Since it opened, Highgate was a prestigious place to be buried, and so it follows that the Victorian celebrities found their way here. A particularly eye-catching grave is that of Thomas Sayers, a bare-knuckle prize fighter. Around 10,000 people are meant to have attended his funeral, and riding as chief mourner behind his procession of carriages was his beloved pet dog, Lion. That makes me so sad. We really don't deserve dogs. I see, you know, videos of dogs that have lost their owners, and they just cry, and they lay on their, their owner's graves at funerals, and it just breaks my heart. But in statue form... His faithful dog keeps watch over his master's grave. So I do have a picture of Sayer's resting place with his dog lion's statue laying at the foot of the headstone. On an animal theme, you can also find an actual lion represented in Highgate Cemetery. This lion's name is Nero. The most famous attraction of George Womwell's Traveling Menagerie. Established in 1810, Womwell was an eccentric showman, and by 1839, he had 15 wagons 
packed with exotic creatures that toured the country. Okay, so if you want to go take a look again, I do have a picture of Nero at Womwell's tomb. And he's sleeping. (laughs) And just on a side note, I love the word menagerie. And I feel like if I lived in the 1800s, I would strive to have one. Another interesting person buried here is Robert Liston, a pioneering Scottish surgeon who specialized in amputations. Known as the fastest knife in the West End, he could remove a patient's leg in under 30 seconds, something I'm sure his patients appreciated in an era before anesthetic. (laughs) The East Cemetery was built in the 1850s. This expansion doubled the cemetery in size and has a very different feel to the West Side, less overgrown and dramatic. The 19-acre site is on the other side of Swain's Lane, which meant that it was tricky to transport coffins, you know, after the ceremonies in the chapel across the road. An underground tunnel and hydraulic lift was installed. It opened in 1855, but is sadly inaccessible today. You know, people in the late 1800s, early 1900s, loved a good tunnel. So many tunnels. Not everything in Highgate Cemetery is Victorian, and they're still open for burials today. One of the most striking modern tombstones is for the artist and printmaker Patrick Caulfield, who passed in 2005. I have a picture of his tombstone. If you want to go take a look at that. (laughs) It's a sculpture and spells out the word dead. So that's interesting. It wouldn't be my first choice. But there you have it. Not everything, as it said, is Victorian or Egyptian in nature. By the end of World War II, the cemetery was overgrown and in serious disrepair, which added to its creepy feel. In the 1970s, Highgate became the location for the horror films of movie studio Hammer, which I'm not familiar with. These films regenerated public interest in the cemetery and stories of grave robbing, desecration, and vampires in Highgate began appearing in the news. As described in the book Beyond the Grave, quote, Many claim to see a particular creature hovering over the graves. Scores of vampire hunters regularly converged on the graveyard in the dead of night. Tombs were broken open and bodies were mutilated with wooden stakes driven into their chests. These stolen corpses turning up in strange places continuously startled local residents. One horrified neighbor to the cemetery discovered a headless body propped behind the steering wheel of his car one morning. Known as the Highgate Vampire Sensation, it culminated in 1970 with two magicians, Ferrant and Manchester, claiming that each would be the first to find and kill the supposed vampire. Manchester announced an official vampire hunt, and on Friday the 13th of that year, 1970, a mob of hunters from all over London swarmed over gates and walls into the locked cemetery, despite police efforts to control them. The two magicians were supposed to settle the debate with a magician's duel, but it never happened. Ferrant was arrested in the churchyard next to Highgate Cemetery with a crucifix and a wooden stake, and in 1974 was jailed for damaging memorials and interfering with dead remains in Highgate Cemetery. Though neither magician found the supposed vampire in the various hunts, graves were ransacked and real corpses were indeed staked and beheaded. Oh, it's so sad. 
The debate between Ferent and Manchester continues to this day, while the cemetery remains a popular location for occult, paranormal, and vampiric enthusiasts. While the Highgate Cemetery looks like a stereotypical spooky scene, many actually believe the cemetery to be haunted. Vampires aside, the cemetery has a few ghost stories to tell. Many people have claimed to see the ghostly figure of a crazed elderly woman within the Highgate Cemetery. She has long, knotted gray hair and is seen darting quickly amongst the tombstones. It is told that she is in search of her deceased children, which she murdered while still alive. Um, don't want to come into contact with her. Others claim to have sighted a shrouded gray figure that remains still staring into empty space until approached when it will simply vanish into thin air. Further claims of ghost sightings in the Highgate Cemetery and nearby Swain's Lane exist. Some have seen what is described as a hat man, a cyclist, faces peering through the barred off entrances to the cemetery, and a woman in white. There's always a woman in white. Always. There have also been some who have heard disembodied voices and the eerie sound of bells chiming when no one is around. Both the West Highgate section, which is the most overgrown, and the East Highgate section can be explored on your own, but you need to pay an entrance fee. There are guided tours available for both sections. You need to book entry tickets ahead of time for the West Highgate section. The cemetery gates are open to visitors daily from 10 a.m. to 4 or 5 p.m., depending on the season. So, if you're in London, pop in. I mean, I personally am going to put Highgate Cemetery on my to-be-visited list. But I just thought that was an interesting one. So, this go-round for our palate cleanser at the end. No contest this time, but I thought we would do something a little bit different, something a little more current, since we don't typically do that kind of thing. We're going to do a new segment called This Week in the News. This Week in the News. So, here in Louisiana, it's Mardi Gras season. So, I thought this article fitting... It came from HuffPost.com. Seven king cakes stolen from New Orleans bakery in a very Mardi Gras way. A thief stole seven king cakes, about as many as he could carry, during a break-in last week. This is an article from January 29th, 2024. From New Orleans. With their purple, gold, and green colors and toy babies hidden inside, King cakes are staples of Mardi Gras celebrations in New Orleans, but apparently they're also valuable enough to steal, at least this time of year during the carnival season. A thief stole seven king cakes, about as many as he could carry, during a break-in last week at a New Orleans bakery. The thief also took cash and a case of vodka from Bittersweet Confections last Wednesday, according to New Orleans Police Department. I was here. <laughs> I know that sounds... Um, like a very uh, Britney kind of treat, the vodka and the king cake, but um, it wasn't me. Our king cakes are just that good, the bakery wrote on social media, but please come and purchase one during our regular store hours. While it's a secular celebration, Carnival in New Orleans and around the world is strongly linked to Christian and Roman Catholic traditions. The season begins on January 6th, the 12th day after Christmas, and continues until Mardi Gras, known as Fat Tuesday, which is the final day of feasting, drinking, and revelry before Ash Wednesday, 
and the fasting associated with Lent. King cakes are among the foods most associated with Carnival in New Orleans. The rings of pastry are adorned with purple, green, and gold sugar or icing, and they often have a tiny plastic baby hidden inside as a prize. One wisecracker responded to the bakery's social media post with a tongue-in-cheek false admission that he was the thief. It was me. I'm holding all seven babies hostage until I get a lifetime supply of king cakes from you every year, the man posted. So, um, yeah, I thought thought that was an interesting article and kind of an an odd thing to steal. Seven king cakes and a case of vodka, but, you know, party. I hope you guys enjoyed the story this week, and we'll come back next week for something a little more murdery. Bye. Thanks for hanging out with me. Don't forget to visit Facebook and Instagram for episode picks and announcements. Please rate and review on Apple, Spotify, and Facebook. I want to give a huge shout out to Stephen Gowetsky for editing, Greg Weaver for music, and Amanda Higgins for art. Talk at you next week.